welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now today's message. Well, I don't have to preach now. (laughs) Thanks so much, brother, for coming all this way. It's good to hear stories of what is happening around the world, isn't it? And the ways that God allows our church to be involved in that. And there are more of those to come, work we have done, the impact that's being made for the kingdom in Baltimore, Ocean City. Uh, Coming up on Palm Sunday, we're going to be having a discussion about two very local uh, areas that we're impacting for the glory of God and are just honored and privileged to serve those people. So we're going to keep those stories coming. Um, this morning we continue in a series called One Another. We've been moving through the book of First John, First John together. So if you would join me in First John chapter 2. First John chapter 2 if you have a copy of God's Word. How, how many of you have now or you have had in the past children and they didn't have any filter when they were little? All right. How many? Keep your hands up. If you now have parents whose filter is gone, like they just got up one morning in their 60s or 70s and like it was just gone, like what happened to that? There's a, there's a grit of propriety, right? And it, and it usually starts somewhere in the late teen years and then, I don't know, depending on who you are, my wife says mine's already gone and I'm just 52, so uh, it could be in your 50s, maybe your 60s, 70s, 80s. At some point that filter starts to wane and it, and it starts to go away. And I, I'll be honest with you, there is nothing funnier than a little child whose filter is off who just tells the unvarnished truth, except perhaps for a senior adult whose filter is off and who tells the unvarnished truth. And I'm sharing that little anecdote with you this morning by way of introduction because that's what we're going to look at today. Remember the author of this book is an octogenarian. He's a grandpa. He's a great-grandpa, at least. I don't know if he made that physically, biologically, but spiritually. These are his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren. He's been speaking gently to them. He's been calling them my little children, but it's about to get spicy. So I just want you to know that. I want you to know that. The old man is taking off the filter, and what we're learning here is that while there are forces that we need to cling to that hold us together as the body of Christ, there are other forces that tear us apart and threaten to tear us apart. And he's going to take those on. He's been repeating, by the way, uh, in these themes of unity, just the words of Jesus. Jesus said in, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The world, Jesus said, needs to see a level of unity within my people that mirrors the Trinity, the persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so tight together. As Jonathan Edwards said, God is within himself a holy community. And John is basically echoing Jesus here, saying Jesus prayed for that. That makes most disagreements and personal offenses that that cause uh, division within the body of Christ as ridiculous as they actually are, doesn't it? 
when you read what Jesus actually wants out of us. And so now we're going to see a, a graphic look, if you will, at the force that threatens to drive us apart. When there's a conflict, it could happen in a church. Maybe it's just your extended family. Maybe there's a marriage right here. And this is like the conflict is intractable. There, there are relationships where it just doesn't seem like there's a way forward. There's pride that, that builds walls between brothers and sisters. John is going to teach us that there is always and inevitably a dark force behind that. He says in chapter 2, verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Those who are trying to tell you this is true, that is not true. Come with us. And then once you get behind that veil, there's some shock. He's like, this isn't just childlessness or spiritual immaturity on the part of the Gnostics. This is something more serious. Verse 21, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. Those who by their behavior rebel against Jesus' own prayer for unity in the body are in practice denying him. And, in the, and behind all of that, the spirit behind it all, is the spirit of Antichrist. Told you it was spicy. The filter is off. All right, so what's, what's he saying? What's he saying in this strong accusation? Seven times in 11 verses, he gives this positive challenge in the midst of this. Abide. Another word for that is remain. Remain. So how do we do that? That's what we're going to learn this morning. Now, a couple of caveats just as we get started. Number one, cult groups, toxic religious environments, sometimes they will use passages like this to keep people on the inside and keep them oppressed. This is not unity for the sake of unity of an institution. All right. If, if you've been paying attention, you know that from our elders to a lot of our leadership teams and others, we're having some really serious discussions around here about our collective future as a church. And part of that conversation is the future of our affiliations. What denominations, what parachurch organizations will we affiliate with? What are becoming such an albatross to the mission that it may be time to cut loose? We're not going to be rash. We're going to be slow. We're going to be deliberate. But I'll tell you what we're not going to do. We're not going to remain with an institution just because we always have. We're just not going to do that. And so when, when you look at this, it's not a don't ever leave for any reason whatsoever, especially if you, if you are institutionally loyal for the sake of the institution, eventually it becomes a cult, even if it's otherwise orthodox. Here's the second thing. This is not an excuse for the church to tolerate false teaching. Well, we're all about unity. Yes, but true unity, John tells us, comes from Jesus, who is the Christ. John is presuming all of this, that, that all of this is about guarding the truth of the gospel. All right, so if there's, if, in a church where we start, we start equivocating, oh, well, is there really, is there more than one way to God outside of Jesus? Uh, could it be that maybe God's moral laws are relative, uh, or in, in, even in some, some environments where the, the church is just completely apostatized, and you talk to people who've been members there a long time, and you're like, well, yeah, I know it's horrible, but you know, after all, Grandma's buried out in the cemetery, and we just can't. Listen, Grandma would get up and leave if she could. Okay, so this isn't unity for the sake of unity. This isn't unity that waters down truth. Actually, what he says is the very disunity he's attacking is caused by false teaching that's become oppressive. So how do we remain committed to that truth, and, and how do we remain? So let me, let me show you five ways that this happens. Number one, heads up, 
The threat is in your midst. Verse 18, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. Now, there's some debate around this phrase, last hour. Some people say that it simply refers to the period of time, however long, between the first and the second comings of Jesus. So that's one view. Another view is that many, including the apostles, and we see this, that they anticipated Jesus could come back at any moment, even from the the frame of reference of their own time period. And so they believed that they were living in the last days, the last hour. Actually, I think the best explanation is this third one. It's just a simple declaration that we don't have long to live in this space. I know this is all we've ever experienced is this world, but God's word tells us there's another one. It tells us that this one that is trapped in our bodies and time and space and successions of moments uh, is one day going to give way to an eternal world and that that world, like the world we're living in now, is like a speck on the map compared to the immensity of time that's going to pass. I think when he says the last hour, he's saying, look, you don't have long here. You better get ready for what's next. But wherever you land here, you can agree with me or disagree with me, the common theme, regardless of where you land, is urgency. John's saying, wake up, be aware. And that urgency surrounds this word antichrist. Now, in the Western church, Don, I don't know how it is in the East, bro, but I'll tell you, in the Western church, we love our conspiracy theories around antichrist. We just, don't we? Tell him. Am I right? Like, oh, yeah, there's all kinds of books out there. We want to speculate about all these kinds of things. The truth, here's the truth about this word antichrist. The word only occurs four times in the entire Bible, and they're all in 1 John. Did you know that? You you probably didn't even know that. There's one other reference in 2 Thessalonians 2 that refers to a man of lawlessness that may or may not refer to the antichrist who is coming. But, But it's all otherwise right here. So apparently the same kind of speculation existed in John's day. So, so he addressed it in a way that I think might be relevant to us. While y'all are all out there looking at Russia or China or whoever else, and you're speculating where this person is and where they're going to come from and, and this single future figure, what you need to be more urgently concerned about is there are many such figures on the earth right now. And some of them are in your midst and they're doing the work of the enemy. Told you this was going to be spicy. In John's day, these were the Gnostic detractors from the gospel he's been addressing throughout this whole letter. So now he's, what he's saying to the church, he's saying, you need to stop looking out there for some future threat to you and start looking in here where the threat is more imminent and more urgent. Here's the, the timeless truth that kind of arises from this first century situation. For 2,000 years, we're not the only one. I mean, we're as guilty as anybody else, covenant family. But, but really, this is true of a lot of churches. For 2,000 years, we have been our own worst enemy. Always looking out there. No one you got to check your heart. You've got to be sanctified. You've got to grow in the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and listen, we worry to death that there's some kind of external threat to the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. You either believe that or you don't. And if you do believe it, you're going to stop thinking that there's some external threat. to the, There's no threat to us. We are indestructible. But we are self-destructible. 
Yeah, we forget to look in the whole time. And John's telling his, his audience here, stop looking out there. You keep talking about this one singular thing. There are multiple things going on right in your midst. And the most dangerous Antichrist-inspired threat to the church is a lack of gospel-focused unity together. For the first century, it was the Gnostics. Today, it could be any number uh, of things or manifestations. But primarily, it's over division. So John says, first of all, heads up. The threat is not out there. It's in here. It's in your midst. Number two, shields up. These liars divide. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Now this passage has been used and abused quite a bit. Uh, the context of it demonstrates it was never intended to be used as a sledgehammer uh, against somebody who leaves a church or an affiliation of some sort or, or whose convictions on a secondary or tertiary matter might change. Uh, again, the immediate context here is about the Gnostics. People who, with their doctrine and lifestyles, denied the Christian faith, who apparently tried to convert this entire church or group of churches to their way of thinking. And here's something 2,000 years later we can be thankful for. Apparently, the ecosystem and the DNA of that church was so healthy that they weren't able to do it. They hit a wall, right? There's a guard up against that. And so here's what they did. When they finally realized, oh, I'm not going to get anywhere else with these people. I'm not going to get any further with these people. They're unable to accomplish their evil intent. They leave. As they leave, they take people with them. Does this sound familiar? Y'all know the story about the man that was, that was rescued after like five, six years being on a desert island, one of those Tom Hanks situations, and there were three huts on the island, and they said, what's that first one? And he said, well, that's my house. That's where I've lived. And they said, well, well what's, the, what's the one on the other side over there? And he said, well, that's, that's my church. That's where I go to church. I, you've been here all by yourself? And he said, well, yeah, but that's my church. They said, well, what's that hut in the middle? He said, well, that's where I used to go to church. Some days we can't even get along with ourselves, all right? Author Amanda Ripley wrote a book called High Conflict. I don't know her spiritual state or if she's a follower of Jesus, but I'll tell you, it is an excellent book about the state of our nation and our culture, how we're always fighting, we're always twisted up in knots with each other, and she calls these individuals conflict entrepreneurs. They make money off of it. They get clicks off of it. People keep watching. Some of y'all got it. You, you watch talk radio. You listen to talk radio or you watch certain news outlets and you wonder why you're always ticked off. I wonder. That was the intent. They're trying to make you mad. They're trying to instill hatred in you. And they're not even, they don't even have probably a nefarious. I mean, some of them ain't even all that smart, guys. They don't even have the nef a nefarious intent. They just, it's this. They're trying to keep you again, keep you reeled in, all of that. They gain from conflict. We live in a world filled with people like that. Whatever their worldview, their tactics are the same. They don't ever build anything. They don't ever unite anybody, but they're always complaining. They can't ever be happy. They're always tearing something down. They come into an otherwise healthy church. They divide as much as possible. They take as much of that division with them across town and call it growth. I didn't say it, John said it. Here's something else John says. John says when you see that kind of behavior, you need to know, number one, they are not of us. Number two, they prove they are not of us when they leave us, certainly under those circumstances. And number three, when they leave, they prove us. Here's what he's saying. 
man, man, he really, I mean, he didn't just take the filter off. He burned that sucker, didn't he? He's saying some subtraction is good. That's what he's saying. Healthy subtraction is when a registered sex offender sits in my office and cries and complains because that last church hurt him so badly because they wouldn't give him a prominent visible leadership position. And I inform him that although we love him, he's going to get the same treatment here. Healthy subtraction occurs when the apocalyptic conspiracist accuses our church of not listening to all the prophets about all that political nonsense out there, and we respond by saying guilty is charged because Deuteronomy 18 says if somebody speaks something and it doesn't come to pass, and these idiots, absolutely nothing they said back in 2020 came to pass, we don't pay any more attention to them. So we're going to obey God rather than man. And they get angry. And they depart. All right? Healthy churches have shields against this because we're warned that these threats are constantly making their way into our midst and the flock has to be protected. So heads up, shields up. Number three, stay focused because the enemy distracts. Look at verse 22. Who is the liar but, the, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So so central, he's bringing us back here. He's saying central to false teaching is a denial that Jesus is the Christ, which just means anointed one. And the denial, more specifically, of the Son's unique special relationship with the Father, claiming to know God the Father is not legitimate if you are not in fellowship with the Son. All right, and so from without, that means we have to say to many of our friends, even those who maybe follow other religions, we love them, they know we love them, there are not many paths to God. There's one. There's one, and it's the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. But from within, here's a message we have to continually tell ourselves. There's no higher path to God for some of us than there are for others. There's no haves and haves nots when it comes to the kingdom of God and the family of God, as was claimed by the Gnostics who said, you've got to depend on me. Listen to what I tell you. I'm the initiated. I know what's really going on. There are simply those who have a relationship with the Father through the Son and those who don't. That's it. And remember the two central tenets of Gnosticism that clashed against this teaching. The first, there's a kind of knowledge that's only available to the initiated, to the elite few. And secondly, body and soul. My physical and my immaterial self is is separate. One has nothing to do with the other, and my physical being is inherently evil. That second one was a functional denial in the first century of the full humanity of Jesus. That's why John's filter's off. He's like, we can't have this. We can't have this. There are lines. These people crossed it. So he's calling that out. And and who better to call that out than the apostle who's already told us, I was there. I laid my head on his chest. Guys, I, I embraced him. I saw him. I heard him. He was real. He is real. He didn't just resurrect. I saw him go up. He's ascended to the Father. He's still there. And he waits to come back to get us. Here's what you learn from this. That it's possible, no matter what you say you believe, to functionally deny even the thing that's coming out of your mouth. Denial doesn't have to be outright for it to be denial. 
Listen, theological liberalism, that's easy. The Bible is a product of literary evolution. We, yeah, okay, we see that coming a mile away. That's not the threat. The threat is the stuff that sounds good and is attractive to us, but is not real and might cause us to functionally denial. The language here in verse 22 presents a picture, not even of outright denial, so much as something else becomes the priority, a distraction from Christ-centered unity, no matter the issue, no matter the issue, might be a good thing to keep in mind in 2024. Christ-centered unity, no matter the issue, if, if there's a distraction from that, it's a functional denial of why we exist. That's not what we're here for, all right? And there's a number of manifestations of this that have come about, and, and not all of it's bad. Some of it's around good stuff that becomes God stuff. I heard somebody say one time, you take a good thing, make it a God thing, you're going to make it a bad thing. All right, so there are legitimate discussions about things like how do, how do we educate our children or what do we believe about biblical prophecy or, or what do we believe about the spiritual gifts, or those kind of things. And then, there's, and then there's other places where we just sort of slide off the slope like this whole sexual liberty thing that's making its way through a lot of even evangelical churches. Well, maybe God didn't really say this or that. And, and what generally happens is that those causing the distraction will say, I still believe, and we fall for it because in our culture, we tend to think of orthodoxy as a cerebral thing, right? What do, I, what do I think? What do I confess? But again, John has spent paragraphs inextricably linking the doctrinal with the ethical, truth and unity, right? And he says, when people start distracting you, okay, yeah, well, look, Pastor, I know this whole Jesus thing and all, but now if somebody's in here and planning on voting for a Democrat, I just can't be in fellowship with them. Then you have functionally denied the unity of the body. Period. Full stop. Don't get into me about issues. I don't want to hear it. How in the world could somebody be a Republican? About Functional denial of gospel unity. It's not that those things are unimportant or even that things you think might not be true. They are loads less important than a crucified, resurrected Savior that unites us. That's what John is calling these people to. He says, when you have people come in, all right, and we get this from all sides, all sides, we've done deep, thoughtful reflection about sex. And we know that for 2,000 years, there's this long line of people between Jesus and our grandmothers that stood in absolute uniformity to tell us that sex was confined to marriage and marriage is between a man and a woman. But you know, we've done deep, thoughtful reflection. C.S. Lewis called that chronological snobbery. Everybody that came before me was an idiot, but I got it figured out now. Right? That, that's what this is. And, and listen, and you, listen, if you're struggling with that, that's one thing. I'm not talking about struggling. Okay, I want to I sit in a group. I want to talk about these things. Please, absolutely. That's what the church is for. That's open. What I'm talking about is people who jump on that issue, this issue, that issue, and they, and they try to drive a wedge. Now everything, they're becoming divisive by distracting us from the centrality of our mission. And we have a prescription for this in Scripture. Look at Titus 3.10. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, 
have nothing more to do with him. Spicy. He already told us, didn't he, in earlier verses, the primary evidence of antichrist in operation within the body is sowing division. He's already told us that those people, if there's a healthy church, and I think we are, when they hit a wall and can no longer do their divisive work, they're going to leave. Then he tells us that by their departure, they demonstrate who they are. And now in Titus 3.10, we read, when they leave, let them go. Let them go. And on occasion, you might even need to show them where the exit door is. You might. It's funny. I mean, you could be nice about it. You can be diplomatic about it. Gosh, the number of folks that I, I, I have taken to lunch over the years, and they want to sit and argue with me about the most minute stuff and, and make sure our church is exactly, you know. My favorite one of late is, is called Young Earth Creationism. Listen, Young Earth Creationism is fine. You're welcome to that. You need to understand it's about 200 years old, and it's reading modern assumptions into an ancient document. That's not exactly conservative hermeneutics. But if that's, you know, if that's where you're at, that's where, but y'all are all six day. No, we're not all six day. We believe that when the author wrote Genesis, he was writing history. We have some different understandings of how that history made out. We believe in historical Adam. We believe in historical Eve. There are reasons for that that relate to Romans 5. We want to understand that as best we can. There are other people that want to get into prophecy. Well, y'all are pre-trib, right? Or y'all are post-trib, right? Or y'all are this or y'all are that. And I can usually tell about halfway through lunch whether this is just a point of curiosity with the individual in question or whether it's going to be a problem. And when, it's, when it becomes a problem, I always say, you're welcome to that belief. You just need to know that at Covenant, we don't draw the lines that tight. We will fight really hard not to fight about that. Because we got other stuff to do, people. You don't have to show up to every fight you're invited to, or you won't have any energy left for the ones that really matter. You're welcome to it. Had a woman on an airplane one time, found out I was a pastor, was, was trying to get, I don't know why my opinion mattered. It's like she didn't know me from Adam's house cat, but, but she had come to some realization that, that psychedelics were helping her connect with Jesus. Yeah, my filter was on. Otherwise, I would have said, I know you ain't looking for me to bless shrooms. Right? Like, you, really? You're just like... Yeah, well, the, yeah, yeah, I want to, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that gets out of it, and we get distracted by this or distracted by that, and, and sometimes at the other side of that lunch, I'll just go, hey, look, look, because, but, 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 look, if that, if that's not satisfactory to you, I completely respect your decision to find another church, because the most forceful, they're going to leave anyway. You, you can try to hang on to them. No, dude, we got other stuff to do. You all see the shape the world is in? We got stuff to do. We got time for this nonsense. And it's sad when that happens, but John's telling us it's not a bad thing because we dare not make something else the priority and in the process functionally deny the central tenets of our faith. Convictions on secondary matters are fine. Watch for the convictions that become distractions to you and get you all wound up, heads up, shields up. Stay informed, stay focused. Number four, stay faithful. The truth will prevail. Verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. You have all knowledge. 
I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. All right? So the face of the Gnostics was, you need us for that higher knowledge. You don't have access to that. We have access to it. You need to give us that privilege. John says, you have Jesus. You don't need those people. You have Jesus. You don't need that political influence. You have Jesus. You don't need that power. You have Jesus. You don't need that immoral relationship. You don't need any of that. You have the anointed one. Now again, he's not telling them, stop learning. That's not the point here. He's saying because you have the approval of God, which is what the word anointed means, by the way. That's what it means. We so confuse this with gifting. And somebody gets up and sings a great solo. Listen, I'm very grateful for our artists. Best I know, they're filled with God's spirit this morning. But but, But what happens on a stage doesn't tell you anything about whether or not somebody's anointed. Anointed means the approval of God. Dinesh D'Souza was president of the King's College, spoke at a conference in my home state, brought the house down, and everybody talked about how anointed he was, even though he was sleeping with a woman that was not his wife in the hotel room the night before. You call that a lot of things. It ain't anointed. Guys, we have got wickedness and immorality and sewage running through every vein of culture, and it infects the church when we get distracted by this kind of stuff. It infects us. You have all the Holy Spirit. You have all the access to the knowledge. Nobody has greater access than anybody else. You don't need a gatekeeper, right? Now, you need a pastor, somebody to help guide you. You need a mentor. You need other brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, the rest of the New Testament is very clear. We need each other. But a pastor's job, even, is not to make you dependent on him all the time. If you're dependent on one individual, that's Jesus, And John reiterates this with force in verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. So there's false teachers and fad teachers who claim that they are discovering something new. And and here's what John's saying. Eventually, they're going to go just as quickly as they came. But the faith you were introduced to from the beginning, the faith my brother Jude tells you was ultimately and finally and eternally given to the saints. It will abide. It will always be here. So you, you abide in that, verse 27, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Again, not a blanket rejection of teachers. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. There are teachers along with shepherds, evangelists, apostles, prophets. They're a gift to the church to help lead and guide the church. But the particular case here is a group of people who do three things. Number one, they make you dependent on them. Number two, they cause you to question well, maybe my faith from the beginning wasn't sufficient. Maybe where I'm centered now is where I, I, I don't need to be centered. I need to be distracted by this other thing, which, number three, means they center your attention. This is what's really important now. This is what's really important now. I, I saw a commentator on it. Gosh, this goes back 10 years, guys, on the news uh, talking about a religion that is not Christian and basically saying, This was an evangelical leader. This was somebody I had respected my 
my whole adult life looking into the camera and saying there's this political cause that's more important than that right now. Like anything could be more important than the gospel. This is where we are. The Christian faith, once for all delivered to the saints, has outlasted all of it. Our ultimate faithfulness has to be to this. And so, in that spirit, there's one final encouragement that John gives us. Stay together. Verse 29, and now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame. Don't act right now in a way that when Jesus comes back, is going to have you blushing or going, or I hope nobody got that on Instagram. Don't matter. Jesus saw it. He saw it. If you know he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. There's that phrase, little children again, which reminds me, you'd think if anybody had a right to try to control these people, it would have been John. Their spiritual great-grandfather who walked and talked with Jesus. I mean, if anybody had a right to exert apostolic control and make another group of people depend, it would have been him. But do you see what's happening here? Grandpa's setting them free. He's setting them free. You need to remain in him. And the way you do that is not more knowledge you have to get from these people who have infiltrated your ranks. It comes by doing something that the heretics are incapable of doing, practicing righteousness. And that has a couple of shades of meaning. One is just simply to do the right things. You know something is right and you don't do it. It's a sin, Scripture tells us. Do the right things. But there's a, there's a the origin point of this kind of life, John's already told us, is anointing. And so the righteousness he speaks of here has a forensic root. It's not try harder. It, it it's actually sounds a lot like Paul in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what it is. Not try harder, not live righteously so you'll be saved. But if you are in Christ and you are abiding in Christ and remaining in Christ and genuinely belong to Jesus, you have everything you need to live righteously. You don't need an elitist giving you secret information. You don't need conspiracies distracting you. You just simply need to obey the clear teaching of God's Word. That's all you need to be faithful to each other. It's all you need to stay together. So, so earlier, like in the last couple of weeks, we saw corrupted communities, an indicator of corrupted faith. Here we see the corollary. The righteousness of Jesus is the thing that builds the new community. It, it's, man, what an encouraging word that is. In a day when, when all of us, if we just take a breather, would admit how disappointed we've been in the way our, maybe some of our lives have turned out, certainly the way the world may be turning out. It is, it is shocking sometimes. It's always saddening to watch somebody walk away from the church, to walk away from the faith. It shocked me to see who has done that. Pastors and authors, guys that have sold hundreds of thousands of books and preached to tens of thousands of people every week that if you go to their social media site now, they're, they're out of ministry and they're like, I'm, I'm not, I don't even think I'm Christian anymore. And it just, it, it just leaves you emptied out or somebody that radicalizes because of some new truth 
some far-right political nonsense or, or some kind of equivocating on essential, clear, biblical teaching. This is what it's taught. This is what the church has said it's taught. You don't get to mess. You don't get to jack that up because there's somebody you want to sleep with that God says you shouldn't. And then they bring that stuff into the body and it stirs dissension. And it's easy to forget in those moments. If you're, if you're a person caught in the middle, right? Some of you are like, you're, you're right on the edge. This side or this side of, well, maybe that's me. Maybe I need to stop stirring up so much dissension. But, but most of you, I'm going to guess, you're just caught in the middle. Whether it's what's happening in the country, whether it's what's happening in your family, and you're just looking around and you're just like, man, I, you know, there were people I thought I'd be friends with for the rest of my life, and I don't know what happened to them. What kind of world are we living in? And it's easy in those moments to forget Jesus experienced this too. He did. It came in the form of a kiss. Y'all remember that? So whatever you're dealing with right now, it's, it, it's really not that bad. It's really. Jesus came in the form of someone, and I want you to know, take note of this, publicly demonstrating affection for him while simultaneously working against him. 2,000 years later, that same Antichrist spirit is at work in the church. You can show publicly great affection for Jesus while simultaneously disobeying and dishonoring him. That same spirit infiltrates our culture. It, it seeks to infiltrate the church. It tries to tear us apart because our enemy is hell-bent, brothers and sisters, on keeping us from the very promise we just saw in this letter. Here's what our spiritual grandfather tells us we have to do. Just one thing. It's a passionate call from Grandpa. Remain. Remain. Grass withers, flowers fade, ideologies come and go, all kinds of stuff about temporary kingdoms come and go. The word of the Lord stands Forever, forever, remain in that. Father in heaven, I thank you for the clarity of your word. I thank you that oftentimes knowing and believing what we believe about this book, that it is your Holy Spirit that granted permission for the old man to take off the filter. And we are so incredibly grateful for that because we, God, if there's anything we need right now, it is straight talk but not just straight talk that's manipulative or that stirs, straight talk from someone who loves us. And so, Lord, I, I just thank you that that is always the case when we come to your word. And I pray that your people, guided by your spirit in these coming moments, would respond to that word in whatever way that your spirit may be calling them to. I, I don't have the intelligence. I would not dare to judge or presume what he wants each person in this room to do. But, Father, I know that you do. And so, Lord, work in hearts and lives in these coming moments, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. 
And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already receive from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.